0: You're listening to Jake Zeep with Preaching the Sword of the Spirit. Grace, mercy and peace be to you from our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Amen. And our sermon text for this Christmas day comes from the second chapter of the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke verses 1 through to 20. And it came to pass in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus to register all the inhabited world. This registration first happened while Cyrenius was governing, and all went to be registered, each one from his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, the one betrothed to him, who was with child. And it came to pass that while they were there, the days of her pregnancy were complete. And she bore her son her firstborn, and she swaddled him and laid him in the manger, for there was no place in the inn. And shepherds were in the same region, living outside and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were afraid with a great fear. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring the gospel to you, which will be a great joy to all people. For born to you this very day, in the city of David is a Saviour, Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a babe, swaddled and lying in a manger. And suddenly there came with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth towards men of goodwill. And it came to pass, as the angels departed from them into the heavens, the shepherds said to one another, Let us indeed go unto Bethlehem, and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And hurrying, they came and found Mary and Joseph, and the babe lying in the manger. And seeing it, they publicly made known the things spoken to them about this child. And all those who heard it marveled concerning the things spoken by the shepherds about him but Mary stored up these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it was spoken to them. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring to you the gospel, which will be a great joy to all people. These are the first words spoken by the angel to the shepherds in the field. The first people on earth to hear the good news of the gospel, that the Saviour has been born to you. Christ the Lord, the Prince of Peace, the Saviour of the world has been born for you. He is your Saviour. And this news is given to humanity in the most unexpected way. The birth of the Messiah was not first proclaimed in Caesar's hall or Herod's palace, but to humble shepherds in the field. We would expect that the news about this long-awaited Messiah would have been proclaimed to the kings and the nobles and the priests and the religious leaders of Israel. And yet God announces it to the poor, lowly shepherds. And he does so in a way completely unimaginable. In fact, the way that God does this is so unthinkable that even today we continue to have the wrong picture in mind. When you think of the angel appearing to the shepherds, what do you see? Do you see a beautiful-looking man with two giant feathers' wings floating in the air? Do you see a soft, gentle, comforting figure? This is our normal perception of angels, and yet this is not how the scriptures describe them. Of course, on certain occasions, angels have taken on a human appearance, such as the angels who came to Abraham and the young man sitting in the tomb where Jesus had been laid. But if you turn to the book of Ezekiel, then you'll get a very unexpected description of the angels. In Ezekiel chapters 1 and 10, we're given the description of two types of angels, Cherubim and Onfinim. The cherubim are big, monstrous-looking creatures with six wings. The feet of calves, they sparkled like burnished bronze. One had the head of a man, while one of them had the head of an eagle, another the head of an ox, and another a head of a lion. And their bodies appeared as if they were on fire. And their entire bodies, wings, back, and hands were covered in eyes. As for the Onphanim, they are described as wheels interlocking with wheels, and their rims are covered in eyes. Our God works in ways that are completely opposite to our human way of thinking. We imagine angels as these beautiful creatures and the demons as monstrous beasts. And yet in reality, Satan, the prince of demons, is the one who is described as being beautiful and an angel of light. While the terrifying, monstrous looking creatures, which we would assume to be the demons, are in fact the angels of the Lord. And these ones are not just any angels. But these are the cherubim. Those who have the special task of guarding the throne of God. Just imagine being one of those shepherds that night. You're standing there in the middle of the night. It's late. It's cold. And it's dark. You're probably already a little on edge because you're worried that a bear or a wolf or a lion may come and attack your flock. And then BOOM! The night sky lights up as if it was day. And there's booming Thunderous voice begins to speak to you, and you look up and you see this monstrous looking creature floating in the air. There's no wonder the shepherds were afraid. Now, I'm not saying that the shepherds were greeted by cherubim or that the angels who greeted them definitely looked like this, but however, these angels looked, they weren't some soft, gentle creatures. They were terrifying. The shepherds are said to have been afraid with a great fear. This wasn't a standard shock of surprise. These shepherds were petrified by what they saw. And seeing an angel of the Lord was a frightful experience. Throughout the Old Testament, people were terrified when they saw these creatures. They needed to be told not to fear them. When the angel appeared to Zechariah in the temple, he fell down in fear and the angel told him not to be afraid. Even the angel told the Virgin Mary not to be afraid. And at the resurrection of our Lord, battled, hardened centurions fainted in fear at the sight of the angel, and it was said that they became like dead men. We have no idea exactly what these angels looked like on that night, but we know that whatever these angels looked like, they were terrifying, and this is is how the Lord chose to first bring the gospel message in an absolutely unexpected way. The Lord sends a monstrous looking bestial angel to appear to these nameless, insignificant shepherds in the middle of nowhere. And this shows us the kind of God that we have. A God whose ways are so much higher than our ways. Whose thinking is so different to our own. A God who acts in ways that are completely unexpected. And this is how our Messiah comes to us. See, the Jews expected the Messiah to be some great earthly king who would ride in on a war horse and conquer all the Romans. They expected the kingdom of God to be some great earthly Jewish kingdom that ruled over the whole earth. And this is what the people expected Christ to be. When the Magi followed the star, they came to Judea looking for the one born king of the Jews. And so expectively, they rock up at Herod's palace expecting to find a baby prince. They expected to find a baby wrapped in cashmere swaddling, lying in a golden crib with servants running around to cater to his every whim. This is what the people expected the Messiah to be. And yet instead, the Messiah was born to a poor-engaged couple from Nazareth, who, because of a census, had to go to this small country town on the outskirts of the Roman Empire, where they had to spend the night in a stable surrounded by animals. And this stable, as we call it, was not like a barn or something that we often imagine. This stable was more like a holding pen built into the side of a cave. The inn that we imagine was nothing like our modern motels. It was a single roomed structure similar to our halls. It was built so that large groups of travelers could just find a spot on the floor to sleep. And while they slept in this inn, all of their animals, their cattle and their donkeys were herded together into something that was more like a holding pen. And because this inn was so packed full of guests Joseph and the pregnant Mary had to go and sleep with the animals. And here is where the baby Jesus was born, surrounded by animals. And his mother wrapped him in rags and placed him in a manger, which was a large stone feeding trough, not the wooden box that we often think of. And here, in the most unexpected way, the Saviour was born. Here, the creator of the universe is placed in the feeding trough of animals so that he is not stepped on by the animals during the night. And why does he do this? The answer, for you. In 2 Corinthians 8, 9, St. Paul says that he who was rich gave up his riches and became poor for your sakes. Our Lord Jesus Christ became poor that you might become rich. Jesus gave up his heavenly riches and dwelt among us as a poor, weak, fragile human being so that you might share in eternal life. As St. Augustine of Hippo said, Man's maker was made man, so that the bread might be hungry, the fountain may thirst, the light may sleep, the way may be tired from the journey." The truth might be accused by false witnesses. That the judge of the living and the dead may be judged by a mortal judge. That justice may be sentenced by the unjust. That the teacher would be beaten with whips. That the vine may be crowned with thorns. That the foundation be suspended on wood. The strength be made weak. The healer be wounded. And that life might die. Wake up, O human being. For it was for you that God was made man. Rise up and realize that it was all for you. Eternal death would have awaited you had he not been born in time. Never would have you been freed from your sinful flesh had he not taken on this flesh himself. Everlasting would have been your misery had he not performed his act of mercy. You would not have come to life again had he not come to die your death. You would have perished had he not come. It was for your sake that Christ was born, so that he could die your death. He took on flesh so that that flesh could be beaten, whipped, and crucified to the cross for the sake of your sins. He was born a human being so that he could bear the suffering that humanity deserved. For you, this Savior was born. As Martin Luther says unto you says the angel unto you that were captive under this harmful evil poisonous spirit who was the prince and God of this world has the Savior been born. The words unto you should surely make us happy for to whom does he speak this to wood or to stone no but to men and not to one or two but to all people Christ was born to save you and even this is just so unexpected. Our natural human idea is that God will save us by conquering our enemies. We imagine Christ riding in on a glorious steed and slaying the devil. We expect that Christ's victory over sin, death, and the devil would be like the battle mentioned in Revelation when the archangel Michael came and slew Satan the dragon. And yet, we find the Messiah bruised, beaten, bleeding, and nailed to the cross. Nobody expected this. The disciples were utterly lost and confused when the Christ died. Previously, in Matthew 16, after Jesus had foretold his death that was to come, Peter rebuked him and said that he would never let such a thing happen to Jesus. The birth of Jesus in the manger was not what people expected, and his death on the cross was completely unthinkable. This child, born king of the Jews, did not sit on a throne. Instead, he was nailed to a cross. This baby who was wrapped in swathing cloth and laid in the manger was the man who was wrapped in burial cloth and laid in the tomb. And then he did something that nobody expected. He rose again from the dead three days later. He who was slain for the sins of the world was raised again for your justification. So that just as he rose from the dead, so too you will be raised from the dead to live eternally with him in the new heavens and the new earth. In the most unexpected way, Christ trampled down death by his death. He conquered the devil, not by sword, but by the cross. In humility and weakness, Christ triumphed over the forces of evil. Through suffering, he won the victory for you. This is your Saviour who suffered and died for you. This is the God who took on flesh, who was born poor, weak, and helpless for our sake. This is the God whose flesh was nailed to the cross, who died poor, weak, and helpless for you. In our lives today, we are often upset when bad things happen. We want God to just fix everything. We expect him to just remove all our suffering like that. We complain and we moan and we whinge anytime anything goes wrong. And we get mad at God because we just want him to fix it. We get mad because he allowed it to happen. This is because we expect God to just fix everything. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. He's all loving. Shouldn't he just fix it? Well, if you haven't figured it out by now, God doesn't work in ways that we expect him to. We have a saviour that works in unexpected ways. We expect God to fix everything. We expect him to remove our suffering and yet he doesn't. In fact, God has never promised that he would remove our suffering. Instead, he tells us Christians that we will suffer in this life because the world and the devil hate us and want to see us suffer. God has promised us that we will suffer in this life. He hasn't promised to remove our suffering. Instead, he has promised to be with us In our suffering. See Jesus is God who saves us by entering into our lives and suffering with us. He is Emmanuel. God with us. God didn't remove our suffering. Instead he took on flesh and he dwelt among us so that he could experience our suffering. And go with it through us in this life. He has promised to be with us until the end of the age. Christ doesn't remove our suffering. Instead he walks with us through it. He dwells in us and with us. He comes and he comforts us in our suffering. He does this through his means of grace, through word and sacrament. He comes and he strengthens us for the life of suffering that we face. And through fellow Christians, he comes to us and he reaches out to us to give us a physical hand of help. Even when we don't realize that Christ is with us in our suffering, he is comforting us and strengthening us to move through it. Christ doesn't give us an earthly life free of pain and suffering. Instead, he took on a life of pain and suffering. Christ became man so that he could die a painful death, so that you didn't have to experience the eternal consequences for your sins. Christ does not remove our earthly suffering, but he has already removed all our spiritual suffering. He was not born to take away our earthly pain, but he was born to die in your place and to take the eternal suffering that was meant for you. As St. Augustine said, eternal death would have awaited you had he not been born in time. Never would have you been freed from your sinful flesh had he not taken unto himself the likeness of sinful flesh. Everlasting would have been your misery had he not performed this act of mercy. You would not have come to life again had he not come to die your death. You would have perished had he not come. I am reminded by the story of a man walking in a field when he is hit in the head by a rock. Ah! he groans, rubbing his forehead. Why did you let this happen, God? Why did you let this rock hit me in the head? Then he opened his eyes, and standing over him was Christ, bruised, bleeding, broken, with a large pile of rocks and boulders behind him. These were the rocks that had been meant for the man, but Christ had taken every one of those hits. When we expect the all-powerful, all-knowing God to remove all our pain and suffering from this world, We forget about all the pain and suffering that he has already removed. We forget about all the pain and suffering that he took upon his shoulders when he died on the cross. Our God is one that acts in ways that we could not expect. He was born in the animal holding pen and placed in a feeding trough. He was born to a poor family. The news of his birth wasn't told to kings or noblemen or to the Jewish leaders. Instead, The gospel of his birth was told to nameless low-class shepherds. And the news came not by some beautiful heavenly figure, but most likely by a monstrous looking angel who put fear into all who saw it. And this child didn't grow up to be rich or popular or have an army. He didn't grow up to be a great warrior king that conquered the world. Instead, he grew up to be nailed to the cross while his closest friends and followers deserted him and denied that they even knew him. He didn't conquer the Romans and lead a nation of Jews to rule the world. Instead, he was arrested by the Jews and handed over to the Romans to be executed. And he did all this for you. As the angel said, Behold, I bring the gospel to you, which will be a great joy to all people, for to you has been born a saviour, who is Christ the Lord. To you this child was born, in a way that was most unexpected. The child came into the world for you, and to this very day he continues to come to you in the most unexpected ways. Through the word read and preached, through water splashed on your head, through a wafer and a sip of wine, the Saviour is given to you this very day. Behold, I bring the gospel to you, which is a great joy to all people. For to you this very day, a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord, is given to you. Amen. And may the Saviour who is born to die for the sins of the world comfort you in your suffering as we await the life to come. Amen.